Welcome to Now Playing, the movie review podcast, hosted by Arnie, Marjorie, and Justin. Today we're discussing the soundtrack to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now shake it up, baby! (laughs) Oh, you owe Paul McCartney a quarter now. (laughs) Oh, crap. (laughs) Well, give me his address, I'll get it in the mail. I'm Arnie, taking a day off for now playing. I'm Marjorie. And I am just Justin. When Justin was in Egypt's land, let my Justin go. (laughs) I guarantee you I'm sitting in my car right now deciding whether or not I want to do this podcast or not. (laughs) (laughs) He'll keep messaging me. He'll keep texting me. (laughs) I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. So this is a different kind of show for now playing, not altogether unprecedented, but a bonus show for a show that's not yet released. In the next couple of weeks, Marjorie, Justin, and I will be bringing you a review of Ferris Bueller's Day Off because, well, this year seems to have been a 30th anniversary celebration of something. I'm not quite sure none of us turned 30, but now playing has really seized upon this 1986. (laughs) And so it felt like the perfect time to do Ferris Bueller's Day Off, also 30 years old. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but then again, you know, it's one of those movies, it's kind of timeless, but not. You're right, Marjorie. It has somewhat of a timeless charm to it. Yes, because for 30 years... I have been taunted because my maiden name is Ferris. <laughs> it's spelled differently. However, I had been called Bueller for so many years after this movie came out. Well, we're going to be talking about the movie itself in a couple of weeks. Today, though, we're talking about the soundtrack because just a couple days ago, the 30th anniversary soundtrack, in fact, the first time there's ever been a wide official release of the Ferris Bueller soundtrack was released by La La Land Records, and they've given us some copies that we're going to be giving away when we review Ferris Bueller. But unbelievably, this movie never had a soundtrack. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think John Hughes, I think soundtracks. Pretty in Pink. Breakfast Club. Weird Science with Oingo Boingo. I mean, John Hughes, I associate with music, but they never did one for Ferris. And Wow. I've heard stories, and it turns out that the only thing they ever really did, and this is kind of cool. I wish they did stuff like this anymore. Anyone who wrote John Hughes fan mail, he kept their address on file. And when the movie was about to come out, he sent them a seven-inch custom-pressed record that had on one side Beat City, and on the other side, it had the instrumental of I'm Afraid. Interesting. That's kind of cool that he did that. Yeah. Really awesome. It's people who weren't, like, signing up or joining a fan club or anything. He just kept addresses of people who were interested in his work, send them postcards when new movies were coming and things. Hmm. But this is the first time this soundtrack and especially this score is being released and we'll definitely talk about it when we get into the movie but music is such a big part of that i mean there are so many songs from this do either of you have a memorable song that just when you hear it or when you watch ferris it just comes to your mind well i mean outside of bow bow big city downtown is always one that comes to my mind right away when I think of the the movie. 
have that in my head in downtown Chicago. Definitely. And Arnie and I have joked about playing hooky one day in the spring from work for years. We've been talking about this. So we'd go recreate Ferris's day off. Now we'd have the music to play during it. Do you guys take your little sports car and do the jump and everything? Totally. Nice. We're going to do it and leave it with some sketchy valets even. (laughs) (laughs) The other song that sticks with me is the instrumental of the Smiths, Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want. That's a gorgeous song when, when Morrissey's singing it, and it's even more gorgeous when it's just an orchestrated piece of music. I really, really love that song. And you know, Justin, please, please, please let me get what I want. That was a find for me in that movie. I do really like that. It introduced me to the Smiths version. You weren't a Smiths fan. No. And you've come around to them now. I have. But that instrumental version is by a band called the Dream Academy. And there is a version out there with lyrics. And they sing it very beautifully as well. I like it as much as I like the Smiths version. So it's this exact same, more acoustic sounding music, and then with really good vocals. I'm not 100% sure, but I want to say I think I hear a dulcimer in that song. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd say I walked out of there just singing, oh yeah. And beyond that, I'd say these days, the one that I like the best is Love Missile F-111, the one he plays while he's getting in the shower and getting ready for the day. The electronica and everything about it, I really groove to that song. Although I gotta say, Blue Room's I'm Afraid with the lyrics has been growing on me the more and more I listen to it on the soundtrack, and by the end of the show, I think some listeners may agree with me. Nice. Well, I got a chance to talk to the producers of this album, Dan Goldwasser and Neil Bulk. And gentlemen, why don't you introduce yourself so they can hear your voice and state your role with this new soundtrack? I'm Dan Goldwasser. I'm a soundtrack album producer working with La La Land Records on the release of Ferris Bueller's Day Off with my co-producer, Neil Bulk. And my name's Neil Bulk, and I also, like Dan, was a co-producer on the new Ferris Bueller's Day Off album available from La La Land Records. So what does a producer do with a soundtrack release like this, especially for one where the movie's 30 years old? Well, in in the case of this one, you had songs and score. So we actually kind of split up the album that I said, Dan, why don't you handle all the songs and I'll edit together the score and then we'll put it all together and see how it works out. Um, And that's pretty much how it went. And and then, of course, there was crossover. I dealt with some of the songs, uh, specifically the two that are exclusive to our album, uh, Beat City and I'm Afraid. And basically, it was just a lot of collaboration going back and forth and hammering things out, hammering out the playlist, hammering out, you know, Dan did the artwork. I have no artistic ability, but I always seem to have comments for the art. And we just sort of put it all together like that. How old were you when you first saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I'm trying to remember if I saw it in the theater. I don't think I would have. So it must have been sometime probably in the late 80s, early 90s, either on home video or when it aired on television. I don't think my parents would have taken me to see it when I was 11. 
Yeah, I, I definitely didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on its first VHS release as soon as it came out, I think. And I remember the she's having a baby trailer on the front of the tape. And I remember watching the movie three times the first day we rented it. Wow. Yeah. What was both of your reaction? I mean, obviously, you loved it if you watched it three times in a row. But was this a movie that stuck with you? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it's a movie that, you know, kind of stuck with me. I didn't really know much about John Hughes, I would say, at the time, in the sense that I didn't know who he was. I just knew his movies and I liked them, but I didn't know it was necessarily all the same guy. So, you know, kind of as I was exposed to more and more of his works, Ferris Bueller's kept coming back out to me as one of those movies I could just revisit at any time. And, you know, if I catch it halfway through on a TV broadcast, you end up watching the rest of it. Um, and it got to be one of those movies that you just know so well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I won't watch it three times in a row anymore in the same day. Uh, that was crazy of me then. But, you know, I never really put it in context of the other John Hughes films, I think because this was Paramount and all the other ones were universal. So that always seemed to have a split to me for whatever reason. It didn't have any of the normal Brat Pack members in it. So it always seemed to be its own thing. I never put it together with other films of the era. So can you give me any background on how this soundtrack came to be 30 years after the movie came out? Well, back in 2009, I had set up some meetings uh, between Paramount Pictures and La La Land Records. Uh, at the time, Paramount historically had kept the vault closed, for lack of a better phrase, while other studios like Fox and Sony and Warner Brothers had been letting archival soundtrack labels, you know, specialty labels like La La Land and Filmscore Monthly and Entrada, go into the vault and release, you know, back catalog archival scores, either expanded or never before released, Paramount just hadn't done that. So when we got the conversation rolling with the new kind of regime over there, uh, they were open to it. So once we got the vault opened, Paris was always on the top of the list as something we wanted to explore, just because there hadn't been one. The problem was that we knew it was also going to be a pretty daunting task given the songs and the licensing involved. So we didn't really tackle it until 2013, which is when we really started exploring the release. So when you say daunting, can you describe for people who may not be familiar with the process why this one would be like a white whale there? Well, every song is different. And they're not just different in terms of the different bands involved, but they're also different in the sort of the scope and types of songs involved. I mean, you have songs like, you know, Twist and Shout and Donkashane, you know, a song like Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want, and, you know, then Oh Yeah. And all these songs, you know, are different. Different record labels may have the rights to the songs. Different bands have different deals. And you have to work all those licensing agreements out. And so it's just a lot of paperwork to sift through. And there was even a point when we were working on this album, we were, I think we'd convinced ourselves that there was no way we were going to get Oh Yeah. And surprisingly, that was one of the easier songs to get. Yeah, I was at, you know, going back to, oh, yeah, just for a second. I, I guess pretty much everybody saw Deadpool. Yes. And, and sat through the end of the movie, which has a Ferris Bueller's reference in it. And at the end of that movie, there is an oh, yeah, reference. And it was sort of like, wait, how do they get oh, yeah? And we can't get oh, yeah. Right. But it turns out we could get oh, yeah. We just hadn't gotten it at that point. And, and the other issue, whenever you're licensing a whole bunch of different songs is, uh, and I'm not, uh, still not 100% sure on how this thing works with the favored nation status things. I think it's that if one 
all it takes is one person or one entity to say, we want to charge a certain amount for our song, and then you have to pay that amount for everybody. So the risk was without any of these types of projects is that you're going to come to someone who says, well, yeah, you can license my song, but it's going to be this insane amount of money. And then you, if you agree to it, <laughs> thinking, well, we really want this one song, any of the other songs that you're licensing could, if they found out about it, say, hey, wait a second, we want to be paid that insane amount as well. So, you know, you kind of have to start being careful about what you're licensing and how much you're willing to pay. So given that, what were your must-haves in order to make this soundtrack happen? Well, for me on this one, and thankfully it was on our tapes from the get-go, Beat City was the song for me that had to be on this album. You know, many years ago, I didn't know Ferris Bueller didn't have a soundtrack album, and I was talking to someone. When you go to a party, people always, when they find out you work on soundtrack albums, everybody goes, hey, you know what would make a great soundtrack album? (laughs) And it's it's some film you never heard of. And in this case, it was, you know what would make a great soundtrack album? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, and there's this song called Beat City that's never been available. And so I just kept it in the back of my mind. I didn't realize Ferris Bueller didn't have an album. Then when we started working on this, it was like, we better have Beat City. And sure enough, we have Beat City as it was heard in the film. Uh, in stereo and it sounds terrific so that was really my my big song that had to be on here i really didn't i didn't think so much about a lot of the other songs because so many of them are common and you can get them elsewhere yeah but i mean and even though they were common there were you know they're still really hard to find i'd say while beat city and i'm afraid and please 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 let me get what you want uh get what i want were the ones that really had to be on there because they definitely, you know, they represented Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The other one, of course, was Oh Yeah. And, you know, that was the, we, we always had that risk of not getting it. And it would, you know, it would have been a real tragedy, I think, that it, if it was missing because it's so iconic and associated with the film. I don't think anyone hears that song and doesn't think of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now, one of the things I read in the liner notes there is that John Hughes himself opted not to make a soundtrack to this. I mean, I agree with you guys. It's kind of strange it never had one, but he felt that the music was too eclectic to make a cohesive album per the writing there as compared to Pretty in Pink or Breakfast Club. Do you guys feel like this makes a cohesive album? I think it does. Um, It required some finessing to really make it as interesting a listen as possible. We went back, like I explained earlier, we did go back and forth on the sequencing. At one point, we thought, well, do we want this to be absolutely in sequence with song and score? And it was decided, no, we're not going to do that. And so we, we split it basically into two sections, or maybe three, with the, with the songs first, followed by the score. And then we have, you know, little bonus stuff afterwards. And I think it works out well. Um, it certainly evokes the film, which is what you're trying to do. You also discussed in there some of the songs that for licensing reasons, couldn't be included. What was your biggest disappointment to not get on this? I'd say uh, not getting March of the Swivel Heads. That was my choice as well. Yeah, because it's the climax of the film for all intents and purposes. And it was just unfortunate that the rights were not able to be licensed for this release. That's the cue that plays when Ferris is running home. Another song not on there is the Beatles' Twist and Shout, but you did include the brass overlay from that, which made me very happy to get. Was that from the original Ira Newborn recording sessions? Yes, it was. It's from the recording sessions, and 
I'm glad we have that so that Twist and Shout is represented on the album. And is that timed in such a way that somebody with audio editing experience such as myself could take the Beatles track from somewhere and lay this over and hear it as done in the parade? Well, you know, what someone chooses to do or not do in the privacy of their own home with whatever albums they may or may not have, you know, that's that's, that's on them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Also, you guys mentioned Blue Room's I'm Afraid that you guys have on there in its original version and then the instrumental version that was featured in the movie. And the same kind of thing happened with Dream Academy's Please Please Let Me Get What I Want, which had a vocal version, but the instrumental is the one in the movie. And you just have the instrumental version on the CD. How was that decision made? Well, in the, in the case of Please 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 Let Me Get What I Want, the only version we ever had was the instrumental. I don't think there's no vocal version in the assets in the vault at Paramount for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And because the instrumental was the one everyone had been clamoring for um, and was hard to get, that was a no-brainer in terms of what we were going to include. With I'm Afraid, it was a little more complicated because it was the song that appeared in the film as an instrumental but was on the John Hughes promotional single 7-inch vinyl as a vocal. So that's the version everyone had had as a kind of a bootleg. But I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I should let Neil talk about I'm Afraid. Well, yeah, you, you, you really hit on it there. There was a lot of back and forth on I'm Afraid of which version do we put on the album. And I was really hoping for both. Um, I think it works better with the lyric, actually. Um, it works fine as underscore in the film. Um, as a bonus track, without the lyrics, it's fine as well. But I really think that song, you know, is a song when you have the lyric, and I thought it was important also because it was on the 7-inch vinyl prepared by Hughes, and I thought, well, it was good enough for him, it should be good enough for us. And so, thankfully, we had the individual mixing stems for I'm Afraid. We had three-track band, and we had three-track vocal, so it was very easy to prepare both versions of the song. And for this release, we actually did have the 7-inch vinyl the Hughes produced vinyl as reference, and I used that for uh, lining things up on I'm Afraid. So it came in handy. Very cool. Mm -hmm. While talking about licensing, there was one thing I couldn't believe you actually did get the license for, and that's the theme of Star Wars. You know, Lucasfilm, now owned by Disney, they're notoriously miserly with those rights. Was that tricky to get on there? That was actually probably stupidly easy because it's not the original recording of Star Wars. Ah. That's where the trick is going to be. Um, it's just the music publishing that you'd have to deal with. So in that case, it was Ira Newborn's arrangement and recording of Star Wars, and you just pay the license fee for the publishing, and that's it. Wow, I, I never had any idea that wasn't the original. He did a great job mimicking the brass in there, and it sounded like Williams to me for 30 years. Well, I mean, it technically still is Williams. It's just not the original recording of the, you know, the score. It's it's actually Star's Wars. <laughs> yes, as misspelled in the actual film end credits. There's also on this CD a unused Star Trek music cue. Mm -hmm. Where was that going to go in the film? That was going to play where the Star Wars music plays, and is actually the original version of the of the cue. Um, they recorded the Star Trek theme first. And then I imagine someone said, you know what might work better? Interesting, Paul Hirsch edited both Star Wars and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, I read that in your notes there. I thought that was interesting as well. And, of course, the editors of Star Wars picked up an Oscar for that film. They did. 
Was Ira Newborn at all involved with the production of this album? Did you consult him at all? We didn't consult him when it came to the album assembly, but he was involved with the album in the sense that he was interviewed for the liner notes and has been aware of the project. And this CD just went up for sale this week, but what kind of feedback have you guys been hearing? Are you proud of what you've worked up here? I understand it's doing very well. As for feedback, I actually haven't heard any. Because <laughs> I think everyone, you know, it just came out two days ago at the time that we're recording this. And so everyone who's gotten, you know, who has ordered it, I don't think they've necessarily listened to it yet or had a chance to get it and give us feedback. At least well, to me listened personally. to it, right? I have. And, oh. and what do you think? I thought it was great. You know, I'll, I'll admit, I was one of those people who... 15 years ago when Napster was new, one of the first things I did was assemble the best Ferris Bueller I could out of the various songs there. And it pales compared to this. First of all, of course, the score tracks were impossible to separate out. But then even some of the songs, it, when you could find them, it's not the same version or it's not the same quality. And I was thrilled as could be when I saw it was actually getting a release and it confirmed what I'd always suspected. You know, you always hear these rumors. Somebody says, my cousin owned the Ferris Bueller 12 inch vinyl. And I'm like, really? Well, actually to, to be fair. And, and Neil, you want to chime in about it? The Ferris Bueller 12 inch vinyl. Yes. There is a knockoff bootleg 12 inch vinyl, which I actually found at Amoeba and I bought it as reference. And if you thought, that it was the real recording of Star Wars in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it might be because the bootleg Ferris Bueller's record literally, literally lifts the main title off of the Star Wars album with Blockade Runner. It just plays it verbatim straight off of that. So <laughs> Yeah, every bootleg of Ferris Bueller's Day Off that I've come across that has Star Wars on it is just using the original soundtrack track, uh, you know, opening tracks from the film. Never The version as heard in Ferris Bueller's Day Off has never been released until Tuesday. Can you tease our listeners with any other projects you may have coming up soundtrack related? I'll, I'll tease all day long. What do you want? <laughs> right now, I'm in the middle of two projects. I'm in the middle of several projects, two that I can talk about. Um, they're both coming from La La Land. One of them is a Star Trek 50th anniversary collection. We're, we're in the middle of that, and I'm in the middle of a three-CD set of music from the original Linda Carter Wonder Woman television series. Nice. They had the promotional 7-inch uh, for that at Comic-Con, right? It yes. was not a promotional. It was a legitimate release. Yeah, that was that was for sale at La La Land. I did the mixing for those. It was the main title from season one and season three, and Dan did the artwork for that album. It was a picture disc with Diana Prince on one side, on side one, and then the record spins and you turn it over and she's turned into Wonder Woman on side two. Yeah, and I'm working on, um, right now we're doing the artwork. We're going to be doing the soundtrack uh, at La La Land to Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the new Tim Burton movie that opens at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. So working on the soundtrack for that right now. And I'm also working with Fox independently on a digital release of some songs from Family Guy. All right. Well, gentlemen, once again, thank you so much for putting the soundtrack out. I know that a lot of Ferris Bueller fans everywhere, myself included, are excited. As soon as I saw it come up, I'm like, okay, that had to be a pre-order. And then La La Land reached out and allowed me to preview it early. So great job. And thank you for the time this afternoon. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks to talk again about for Neil and Dan coming on the show. And I wasn't kidding. I've always preferred... 
twist and shout with a little bit of brass. <laughs> it, it does. I mean, not to sound corny, but it jazzes it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I did mix twist and shout the Beatles version together with the brass band version. You can listen to the brass band version all on its own, and it does sound actually like a song. It just sounds like a marching band playing Beatles, but I mixed them together. A while back, I'd purchased the Amazon MP3 version off Please Please Me. So with remastering and everything, it might be a little bit different than the original vinyl release. And that version doesn't quite overlay perfectly with the brass band, but with a little bit of tweaking a tempo here and there, and I'm talking a very little bit, like play around with 15 one hundredths of a percent, it does sound pretty good. Take a listen, this is the brass version, and then I'm gonna fade in just a little bit of the Beatles, hopefully not enough to violate fair use, and then fade back out on it, and take a listen to how good this does sound if you are inclined to do this yourself. And now that song, you know, it feels a little played out 30 years later. But at the time, that was the introduction to a whole new generation of people to the Beatles. You know, my mom was a big rock and roll fan. and She was really into different kinds of music types. And one of the things that she liked as a young girl was the Beatles in the 60s. And that was my introduction to the Beatles because by the time this movie came out, my mom had already moved on to like things like Kiss and Rick Springfield and things like that. Admittedly, I think I thought that was a modern song when I watched this movie. I don't think I knew it was an oldies song. And we'll talk about it, but I do find Ferris's fascination with 30-year-old music a little bit. <laughs> but I think it's that the older people watching this movie are like, oh, it's the Beatles or the parents watching it, which is what happened to me. I don't expect to know what the Beatles were, you know? You see the difference? I mean, and even today, I, th I think the Beatles, for what they were historically, are lost on most people today. I, I don't think we're that far away yet, but you're right. We're probably a couple generations from it, you know, losing the full impact of what they really were to the music industry. Mm -hmm. But I think if you took, like, a 17-year-old today and put him in a room, he wouldn't know if you play Beatles songs. He might think it's, like, Oasis or something. <laughs> but that's only because Oasis says that they're better than the Beatles. Now, the Beatles are a very contentious group. I know people that hate them. I know people that love them. Personally, I had a Beatles phase probably because of this movie. You know, at the age of 12, that's when you kind of start thinking, all right, there's more to listen to than just the radio. So, you know, I went and I got the Beatles' greatest hits one and two. And I listened to all that. And the older I got and more into my teens, I still listened to the Beatles, but I really started to gravitate more to their, their later stuff, like late 60s, early 70s, before they broke up. That's where... I really like the Beatles, but after, I, I guess what I'm saying is after they started taking heavy drugs is when they really, <laughs> really got interesting to me. And let's not ignore Ira Newborn's score. You know, watching the movie and really paying attention to the music, a lot of times they use instrumental versions of songs that you might think are scores. I think that was the case for me with I'm Afraid and General Public's Taking the Day Off, which is the song that plays while Ferris and Sloan are in the hot tub. I thought those were scores, those are actual songs. But when Ira Newborn comes in, sure, there's some music stings that 
I wouldn't say work outside of the movie, but then there's some just good music. I like the bluesy bit where Rooney's walking into the pizza place and things. So it's cool that they were able to include that as well as the pop songs. So in the end, my review of this CD, it's awesome Ferris finally gets the soundtrack it deserved. I've cobbled one together for years out of various MP3s. I'd picked up a bootleg CD that was not of very good quality, and some of the songs were recorded right out of the movie way back in the early 2000s. It's tremendous that this is here, and I recommend it to all Ferris Bueller fans who have grown up with this movie. I've lived with it for 30 years, and... I know what the liner notes said about John Hughes, but I have been a fan of the music he put in his films in general, and I feel it kind of introduced me to new wave music, and these songs here, to me, they make a good album because I have strong memories. I did see this in theaters in 86, and I've seen it many, many times since, and so to me... To get the songs all in one place, plus the score, plus that brass instrumental for Twist and Shout. Hey, that's some good stuff. Absolutely great. I will express there's disappointment. I really associate the beats March of the Swivelheads with this film. It plays over such a climactic scene. The guys expressed regret about not being able to get it in there. And it's a slight disappointment. So what I strongly recommend is if you want this CD... Also, go out and pick up the couple songs that are missing that are readily available, and if you have Audacity or another audio editor of choice, Adobe Pro Tools perhaps, yeah, a little bit of finessing and you can have yourself the version of Twist and Shout you've always wanted from that movie. Cool. Can I get one? Yes. <laughs> awesome. But I also got a chance to talk to Blue Room, the band that did I'm Afraid, which in the film... It's instrumental. It's what plays while Ferris is monologuing, while Cameron's catatonic, and he's like, Sloane's as big a problem, because she's has another year of high school, you know, that scene. Yeah. What's playing in the background isn't score, but an instrumental version of Blue Room's I'm Afraid. Interesting. And that version also had lyrics, and you may know this band. Have you seen John Hughes's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Yeah. You know that really haunting, amazing awesome rendition of Every Time You Go Away that plays at the end. Oh, yeah. With the female vocalist. That's them? That's them. Well, I got a chance to talk with the members of Blue Room. They're still together, and they actually performed a couple of songs for us. Welcome. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves and your role in the band? Hi, my name's Linda Hall. I sing. <laughs> my name's Tony, and I play drums. And I'm David Chorna, and I sing as well. And play the guitar. Oh, and I play the guitar. And write songs. And yeah, write some songs as well. So, yeah, that's, that's Blue Room. Now, on the Ferris Bueller soundtrack, you've got the song I'm Afraid. When did you first compose and record that song? Oh, blimey, this goes back a long, long way because this was written with um, my co writer, Paul Mansfield, uh, some time ago um, in a place called Thames View. Oh, yeah, in, in a bedroom right close by to a pub, fortunately. And uh, we, we put this one together and uh, we knew we had a good, we've done quite a few versions of it over the passage of time. We um, we recorded it first of all, we used to have a little studio down the East India Dock in London and we put it down there. That is a really good version actually. And then it got recorded again and again and again and again. And then eventually uh, one day we was playing this pub in, the full, in Fulham 
and um, of all people, Tarquin Gotch was walking past, and uh, he popped in during our break, and uh, he said, "Turn the, um, the plug off." Didn't it? And he pulled the plug out. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Sharp, don't worry no more of that." But, uh, he, but anyway, yeah. So um, he, he popped in and he introduced himself in our break, and um, and basically uh, he said, uh, "You know, I'm I'm, I'm sort of associated with the." Um, American film producer, and we, we kind of took this with a big pinch of salt, didn't we? Yeah. You know, nobody mm. sort of particularly believed it at the time, but it was true. And um, he picked up on "I'm Afraid," which went into Ferris Bueller as an instrumental, and on the um, promotional scene with Black Hawk Man. And um, and then we did uh, "Chronos," which wrote with Tony for some kind of wonderful. Lynn put a fantastic vocal down on uh, "Every Time You Go Away." For planes, trains, and automobiles, very popular. Actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we had a little run there with John Hughes. Yeah, that was that was nice. It was fun, fun. So, when did you first see Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Well, we were invited. There was um, a showing, but of course, in the audience, everybody in the audience was connected to the film. So there was very long silences. I don't think the film was enjoyed as much as studied by the whole audience waiting for their part to come in. You know. So it wasn't quite like watching a movie. You know, I had to watch it again to enjoy to it. To enjoy it, yeah, absolutely. No, it's quite fun. What did you think when your song came up and the way it was used in one of the more serious scenes? What was your first reaction? I don't know, really. I was just so pleased it was on there, to be truthful with you. It all seemed a bit surreal, sort of sitting there, sort of watching that. Um, yeah, it was great. Mm. Yeah, yeah exciting. Well, exciting for us. Yeah, it's the same now though when we see it. I mean, it's such a great movie, isn't it? You know, you you know, you just to be even a small part of it is is sort of lovely. It's great. And as you mentioned, you went on to do two more songs for John Hughes, uh, "Cry Like This" and "Some Kind of Wonderful," and that awesome cover of "Every Time You Go Away" at the end of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. How did that collaboration continue after Ferris? Um, well, Tony came around my place, the sort of bones of "Cry Like This," and we put it together. Yeah, not bit was on it, was it? <laughs> it was on it. It was on it. It's not telling the truth. No. I sound well, why not tell the truth? Yeah. But there was another film as well. I did another one. She's having a baby. Oh, did you? Oh, that was a John Hughes movie, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I did that one with um, Dave Wakeley from The Beat. So did the um, main tune to that. What was the tune you did? She's, ha she's, she's having, having a baby, baby. baby. yeah, and I rewrote it on in the studio. <laughs> so I got the main melody line, yeah. Oh, great. But it clashed at the same time. There was another baby movie came out, came out. I think Three Men and the Baby, and it didn't do so well right. at the time. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Mm. God, that was I, fun too, I, I yeah. I never knew that. <laughs> no, really? You get that under you, right? Hey, that's a revelation. <laughs> oh, no, it all just comes back to you. This <laughs> is a long time ago, you know. You're recording lots of, <laughs> lots of different people doing different projects, you know. Yeah. And uh, great for us that John Hughes had such faith in us that he gave us so many projects to do. Yeah, that's great. And I know, again, the one from the end of Planes, Trains and Automobiles is just so loved and sought out by so many people. Mm. Yeah, it's a great vocal, isn't it? Yeah, that was another that was another experience because uh, they didn't want Paul Young, but they wanted the track to sound exactly the same. But John Hughes wanted a girl singing it, so I was up against it a little bit, you know. They said, "Can you sing like Paul Young?" I said, "Well, not really." Well, they said, "Do your best." So it was a bit of a compromise for me, but you know that's what that's how he wanted it. I think he wanted a slight delicate sound with it, so that's what 
but that's what they were aiming for. That's what they got. Yeah, and that's what they got. Yeah, no, <laughs> yes. Now, with I'm Afraid being on this new 30th anniversary Ferris Bueller soundtrack, what's it like for you guys to have that song finally be widely available and heard by fans of the song for who've heard it in the film for 30 years? Oh, it's just fantastic. I mean, you know, obviously in the film, it's the, the instrumental, obviously in the film, um, and we've had the we've had the vocal version on the on, on you know on the B side of the promotional single with Flatfoot Men on the other side for some time. I mean, that was the only kind of sort of physical soundtrack for up, up until now, really. You know, um, uh, I've got actually I've got about three or four of them indoors. I didn't even know about the promo- there was a promotional copy, but it just shows you can't keep a good song down. It's such a strong number. You can sit and do it acoustically, you know, you can do it with an orchestra any way you want. It's a good, it's a great song and it'll always keep coming back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we aim to kind of, we, we, we're going to try and do sort of, um, we've got another version of this. Um, we, well, we, we're playing it today, basically. Um, and um, we're going to see if we can put this out as an EP, as another sort of release for ourselves with a, a Blue Room EP, hopefully, which would be quite Awesome. Well, I'm feeling very privileged to be able to watch this. Would you want to go ahead and do that? Let's get yeah, the rest yeah, of the I band. <laughs> hey, hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we was just uh, we was just saying, didn't I? We both had a, we we both spoke to John Hughes once, separately, separately, yeah. on separate occasions. <laughs> and we was, I was in the studio called Waikiki. We was putting um, the, quite like this down, some kind of wonderful one. Of, someone said, "I'll phone calls for you," and, and I picked up it was John Hughes. I, I was really weird, and he said, "Has uh, everything all right?" I went, "Yeah, great." And it, was, and it wasn't much more than that. And he went, but it, I'm just speaking to John Hughes, fantastic. Yeah, and Lee, you, like, yours as well. Yeah, he rang me too when I was on, on another venture to see, how's it going? You know, <laughs> I said, fine, how's it going with you? He said, oh, I'm sitting in my pool. Good luck you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's all obviously it's down the Tarquin now. He's, you know, we're very grateful to him for having um, sort of faithfulness to start off with. And we're still in contact with him. He's a good guy.
bonus for you. A one, two, three, four. One, two, three. Incredible. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. That has been an amazing performance and it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, That's really cool. Yeah, I'm going to have Twist and Shout stuck in my head again all day today that I'm editing this because I had it all day the day that recorded that. All this has happened this week. This is one of the fastest turnarounds for Anel playing because this album just came out on Tuesday. Oh, wow. That is pretty dang quick. Yeah, that's really quick. And that's awesome. They did a live version of it for you, though. I also got video of their performance. I'm going to mix it in with a little bit of Ferris Bueller, and that'll be up on our now playing YouTube channel. So keep an eye there. And yes, we will have a bonus show reviewing Ferris Bueller's day off in just a couple weeks. Arnie Carvalho, you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> And don't forget also today, our bonus review of Return of the Fly went out to donors. It is continuing the Fly retrospective series. Got a lot of positive comments on our review of the original Vincent Price film. If you're not already signed up to get those, help us out. Head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate and find out how to get all these bonus shows. And then, yes, the Ferris Bueller show will be on the main feed for everyone coming soon. So Justin, Marjorie, thank you for joining me. I look forward to talking more Ferris Bueller. 
Until next time, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. The film discussed in this podcast and all audio clips and music used are the property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Mm, bow, bow. Ch, 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 ch.